Well, it is uh, good to be back with you today as we gather as brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, to celebrate Christ's completed work, that he has won the victory. And we can say, where, O death, is now thy sting? Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I need to say a couple things before we get started on your sheet for notes, um, I will be reading the, the fourth commandment out of the book of Deuteronomy rather than the book of Exodus, and the reading from Isaiah 58 as I moved in into the sermon. And uh, we'll focus our time on uh, Hebrews uh, 4, 1 through 11. Now, I, I will say, and you'll, you'll see as we read through Hebrews 4. It's a fairly technical verse, and so this would be a little bit different of a sermon, uh, a little bit technical, uh, trying to uh, unravel this, uh, but I will do my very best to uh, bring home the gift and the joy of the Sabbath into our hearts. Please uh, open your Bibles, and I will begin in Genesis uh, 2 verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. And then from Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 15, this is uh, the fourth uh, commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servants and your female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And then from Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of the disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, we are so small and you are so great. And Lord, it was by your everlasting love and by your compassion that you condescended to speak to us. To speak to us in former days by the prophets and to speak to us in these last days by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that we might hear and that your word might touch our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we, we live in a day when the Sabbath is also often under attack. You know, even many uh, conservative writers and conservative leaders uh, teach that the Sabbath commandment is no longer relevant for today. And so we ask, was the Sabbath commandment set aside with the coming of Christ? Was the Sabbath for Israel only? Do we now only have nine commandments? And why do we worship God on the first day of the week? Was this just a tradition started by the church? Or are we obeying our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it's uh, Jews of the first century converting to Christianity had these and, and many other, other questions. And in fact, probably much more so. You know, there, there have always been two marks uh, by which the Jews separate themselves. The first is uh, circumcision and the second is the Sabbath. And in fact, Jews have a saying, even today, keep the Sabbath and the Sabbath will keep you. And so you, you can imagine uh, these new uh, Hebrew converts to Christianity when the church, made up of both Jews and, and Gentiles, uh, worshipped God on the first day of the week. It would have been 
difficult. And so this is the problem. Uh, many of them were falling away and falling back into bondage because of the Sabbath. And so it makes sense that in the book of Hebrews, that in a book written to struggling uh, Hebrew converts to Christianity, that these questions would be addressed. The man whom God inspired to write the book of Hebrews is addressing his brothers and sisters whom he loves in this fourth chapter. He is calling them to their Messiah. And he he does this in two ways. Uh, First, he gives them a solid biblical argument for continuing the Sabbath on the first day of the week. See, he wants them to know that they are in God's will. And then second, uh, this man is, clearly has a pastor's heart. He, he loves his brothers and sisters. And so he is pleading with them to come to their Messiah. Not to fall away uh, like previous generations into bondage. He's refer, he refers specifically to the Exodus generation that God said they will not enter my rest. And so these two themes are are interwoven, and we're gonna we're gonna try to try to pull them apart. Uh, the first theme of a continued Sabbath observance on the first day uh, begins with the proposition in verse one that says, "While the promise of entering his rest still stands," and then this concludes in verse nine with a therefore statement. Therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then his second, his exhortation, uh, begins in verse 1 with a warning. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. And concludes in verse 11 uh, with another therefore. uh, Let us therefore strive to enter this rest. And so we'll we'll focus uh, mostly on his first uh, uh, his first line uh, demonstrating that the Sabbath is for uh, today. And, th- you know, these questions are vital for us today as much of the church struggles with, uh, with the Sabbath. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, it is undoubtedly true that if this, and this being the perpetual Sabbath on the first day, If this be the mind and the will of God, then he has not left the matter to human tradition, but has so revealed his mind about it in his word that there is to be found good and substantial evidence that it is his mind. He goes on to say, No Christian therefore should rest till he has satisfactorily discovered the mind of God in this matter. If the Christian Sabbath be of divine institution, it is doubtless of great importance that it be well kept. And he goes on to say, you know, if this is just tradition, if we just learned it from our parents, then um, how are we going to honor God on the Sabbath? We need to know that the Sabbath comes from God himself in his word. And so my, my purpose today is that we leave here fully convinced that we are in God's will when we worship him on the first day of the week. 
and even more that we know the joy of the Sabbath as a celebration of Christ's victory. That the Sabbath is a celebration of Christ's completed work of redemption. And so we'll consider this passage in uh, three parts. Uh, First, the Sabbath remains for the people of God. On the first, second, on the first day of the week, and third, as a celebration of Christ's completed work of salvation. Now, before we even get going, I, I need to tip my hand and reveal that there is a word in this passage Well, it sometimes gets lost in translation. But if you were a Jew reading this passage in Greek in the first century, this word would literally jump off the page and it would grab you. In in the space of 11 verses, uh, there is, well, it's in the New King James and the King James, the word rest, and uh, also in this ESV, uh, nine times. And eight of those times comes from the word uh, katapao, uh, rest. But in verse 9, the word translated rest is sabbatismos. Now that, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like Sabbath, and it is. And so in, uh, in my ESV translation, they add the word a Sabbath rest. And, and that's close, but it's, it's not quite uh, the meaning of this word. The meaning of this word is a Sabbath observance. It is to keep the Sabbath. It is the noun form of a verb that shows up first in Exodus uh, 16. In that verse it says, So the people rested, uh, sabbatizo, literally observed the Sabbath on the seventh day. And if we back up a a little bit in Exodus 16, we see that this is the very place where God is reestablishing the Sabbath. Uh, Apparently, the the Jews had lost the Sabbath in slavery in Egypt. And, well, of course, they they were slaves. And uh, they had a slave driver to, to work them seven days a week. And so when God uh, brought the people out into the wilderness, one of the very first things he did was to reestablish the Sabbath. And he did it by the giving of manna. Uh, Back in 1623, it says, "Uh, Then Moses said to them, This is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until the morning. And so the people observed the Sabbath on the seventh day. And so in in Hebrews uh, 4.9, this word, Sabbatismos, points back to this event. You know, it's interesting, uh, this was even before God gave the Ten Commandments. So important was it that God give them the gift of the Sabbath that it was, it was literally one of the first things he did. It's interesting that in Hebrews 4, it's, it's not even the word Sabbath day. It is a Sabbath observance. It is the practice of keeping the Sabbath. And so, first we see that uh, 
there is a Sabbath that remains for the people of God. And so look back with me to verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. And so there is a rest, and it is God's rest. In other words, the rest is in God himself. It is intrinsic to God. It's, it's not us just stopping uh, from our work. It's not our rest. It is God's rest. And in fact, in God can be the only place where there is true rest. There remains, it says, a promise that we might enter his rest. And then verse 3 expands on this from verse 3, part B. It says, although his works, and that's God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And so the, the point is that the promise of entering God's rest remains because the rest remains. And the rest remains because God remains. And the, the certain place that he's referring to is Genesis 2 that we just read where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Now, there is a beautiful pairing of ideas in this passage that it is essential to see. It says, God rested, Shabbat, because his work was finished, Kalah. Now, uh, finish does not just mean, okay, that's enough, we'll stop for now. Finish does not mean, okay, God, God's tired and needs to rest now. God doesn't get tired. And uh, what finished means, what kalah means, is that it is perfect and whole. It has the idea of wholeness. Everything is in harmony. Everything is in its place. Nothing could be added to it or taken away from it. If you want a sense of, of Kalah, you can think of uh, a painter who's a master painter, and there's that last stroke, and he looks, ah, that is perfect. Everything is there. Uh, by the way, a, a derivative of the word Kalah uh, is the Hebrew word for bride. Why? Well, because a bride completes her husband. Uh, without, without her, he's restless, and, and with her, he can be at rest, complete. So it's a beautiful picture. Shabbat, a rest, follows kalah. If it wasn't kalah, then there would be no rest. If it wasn't perfect and whole and in absolute harmony, if it wasn't a picture of who God is himself, then there would be no rest. Shabbat always follows Kalah. To cease and rest follows wholeness and harmony. Now, it, uh, the Bible portrays that uh, the first rest, God's rest, um, was not just a rest from work. As, as we just said, God doesn't get tired. It was a rejoicing in the goodness and the perfection of God's work. 
You see, God doesn't rest so much from his work as he rests in his work. In Exodus 31, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It's, it's like that painter. Oh, that's beautiful. And so God called all that he made very good because it was kalah. It was in perfect harmony. Now, we know that all that God does is perfect. All that God does is complete. His works of creation were perfectly complete. And for us, God's work of redemption is perfect in its completeness. In other words, in redemption, we can enter into God's rest, into his wholeness. We can know Kalah. Harmony, wholeness. Now we need to think for a minute. Do you long for this kind of rest? Do you long for the beauty of wholeness in your life? Of harmony? Do you long for peace from conflict? There is only peace and harmony belonging to God. Just as God rests in his work, we can only rest in God. And, and really, that's what we should think of when we see the phrase, in Christ. We should know that in Christ, there is peace. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful passage, and it is a beautiful picture of what is in the gospel. Now, verse, verse 6 uh, continues uh, this same theme. It says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. The point is, when God promises, God fulfills. If the promise remains, then it must remain that some may enter it. And in fact, he says a little earlier in the passage that some enter it by the gospel, by faith. And so we have a promise to enter in to God's rest. And before he reaches a conclusion, uh, the the author of of this uh, book answers an objection. And he does this in verse 8. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day, namely today. And so the, the, the question was for the first century Hebrews, well, wasn't the, the rest fulfilled when Joshua finally brought the, the people into the promised land? And, and this book says, no, the rest is in God himself. It is his rest. In other words, land with no God is no rest. And God, even with no land, is rest. And so then in verse 9, in conclusion, he says, There remains, therefore, or so then, there remains a Sabbath observance for the people of God.
That's very interesting. And so, what are, what are these? What does this uh, teach us? We we learn that the Sabbath remains for today. It's not been done away with. We learn that the Sabbath is for the worship of God. It gives us the opportunity and the duty to be refreshed in God, just as God was refreshed in His rest. It gives us the opportunity to rejoice in the perfect kalah wholeness of God and of His completed work in redemption. And third, the Sabbath is a pointer. You know, just if you think about uh, you shall not kill, one of the commandments. Well, that is a moral command in itself, and yet it is also a pointer to the character of God. You shall not kill because God is the author of life. In the same way, you shall keep the Sabbath day is a command in itself, but it's also a pointer. It's a pointer that in God there is rest. God is whole and perfect. He is in perfect harmony. And so the Sabbath command is that we work for six days and one day we rest and we rejoice in the gospel. Now imagine for a minute life without the Sabbath. You know, we are, we are very fortunate in this country. We have grown up in a society that has had at least a nominal observance of the Sabbath. But imagine life, work every day, no stopping, no change, every day the same. Imagine how lost you would become. Imagine how meaningless life would seem, how easy it would be to forget God, to forget His promises, to forget His salvation, to forget that there is another life. It would be easy to forget that this is not our home, that our home is in heaven with God. You know, back in in the passage uh, in Exodus, when the children of Israel were coming out of the everyday work of slavery. I think this is why it was one of the very first things that God did was to establish the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, you no longer belong to Egypt. You are my children now, and I'm going to give you the gift of the Sabbath. It's not going to be every day the same There is a day set aside that you might rejoice and enjoy the rest of the Sabbath. That you might turn your hearts to me. You see, now we are children of God. You know, think about uh, your life without Christ. Think about being in bondage to sin. How easy it is to lose the Sabbath, being slaves to another. You know, it's uh, you think about this, and it's easy to see why. In Mark twenty-seven, Jesus said, "The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath." It is a gift from God that we might turn 
our hearts to him. And so the question is, are you thankful? Do you approach the Sabbath as a gift? Do you refresh yourself in God and his goodness? Do you discipline yourself to stay grounded in the eternal perspective on life? Do you look to eternity in order to live today? It says in verse 7, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, keeping the Sabbath is a guard against hardening your heart to God. It turns us to his goodness so that we can rejoice in him. And so there remains a Sabbath observance for the people of God. Now, uh, secondly, we want to see that Christ changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day. And so if you look with me again to verse 9, it says, There remains therefore a Sabbath observance for the people of God. And then verse 10, it says, and uh, this, is, uh, this is actually my translation, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. He who has entered his rest. And so the question is, who is he? Now, some have understood he as a Christian who has entered into Christ's rest. And so uh, this ESV translates uh, that pronoun as whoever. Uh, If you look at the uh, NIV, it says anyone. Some translations say all. But the he in verse 10 is very definitely a third person masculine singular pronoun. There is a Greek indefinite pronoun that means anyone or whoever, and that is not the word that is used here. It is he, and the he is certainly Christ. And how do we know? Well, for one thing, all the references to people in this passage are in the plural. It says, let us fear. The gospel was preached to us. Let us be diligent. And all the references to God are in the singular. I swore. He designates. And so on. And so this passage says, he, Christ, has entered his rest. It doesn't say we, the people, have entered our rest. But even more, this whole passage is uh, part of a passage that begins in Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3.1 says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, he, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. He. And he refers back to verse 3.1. It is Christ. Now, most of all, the comparison in this passage is between God's work and his rest and Christ's work 
and his rest. You know, it, it could not be the finished work or the, the sinner uh, completing his work. Our, our works are, are filthy rags. And, and we can't rejoice in, in uh, the finishing of our works. There is no rest in our works. But there is a perfect analogy in this passage between the work of Christ in redemption and the work of God in creation. You see, Christ can rest, he can rejoice in, he can be refreshed by the perfection of redemption in the same way that God rested in the perfection of creation. You see, God rested in the wholeness, the claw of creation. Christ rests in the wholeness, the claw of his recreation. And so it says that Christ completed his work of redemption. He has entered into his rest at the right hand of God the Father. And then this verse leads perfectly on to the rest of chapter 14 where it says, We have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see a full picture of Christ as Lord of the Sabbath. As it says in Mark 2.28, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath is based on his completed work. And so here's the picture. God completed his work of creation on the seventh day and thereby instituted the seventh day Sabbath. And he called it holy. When Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, he completed his work of recreation, his work of redemption. And so he rested. You see, the the principle of one day in seven remains, but the day has changed to the first day because of the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ. And so therefore it says in verse 2, we who have believed have entered that rest. We can enter into the perfect law of redemption. Now, uh, my question would be, is this the only passage that declares the first day Sabbath? And the, uh, well, the answer is no, there are lots of, of passages. And let me, let me try to explain. Uh, the Jewish calendar is based on a monthly uh, lunar cycle. And so the first day of the month changes uh, to various days of, of the week. And so when Passover is on the 14th day of uh, Nisan, well, that can be on Monday or Tuesday, in any day of the week, depending on the lunar cycle. But there are, and it's, it's that way with uh, uh, the, the Feast of, uh, of Booths, it's, it's that way with all of the festivals that God has given to Israel, except two. There are two festivals that are always based on the weekly cycle. The first is the Feast of First Fruits, and that always occurs the day after the first Sabbath 
after the Passover. Now that's very interesting. Think about that. The day after the first Sabbath after the Passover. That is the very day that Christ rose from the dead. Now, now this is an amazing thing. We know that Christ is called the first fruits. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone... Oh, that's a different passage. I just lost my place. Well, okay, here we go. I apologize. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, as by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. God knew from all eternity, from the foundation of the world, that Christ would be raised on the first day of the week. And so he established the Feast of First Fruits to be always on the first day of the week, the very day, the first day of the week after the Sabbath, after the Passover, to show that Christ is the first fruits. And you, you think about the Feast of First Fruits, this was, this was a time of joy. They were gathering in the first harvest. It was a time to have a feast and celebrate because God has provided for another year. And so likewise, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week is, well, it's a celebration because God has provided God has cast our sins away and we can say where, O death, is now thy sting. You know, there's a second uh, festival that always occurs on a day of the week and it is the festival of uh, Pentecost. Pentecost always occurs on the day after the seventh Sabbath after firstfruits. Okay, the day after a Sabbath, that's always the first day. Pentecost is the very day when God gave the Holy Spirit to establish the new covenant people, to establish our worship on the first day of the week. As I've said before, the, there is incredible continuity. There is incredible unity in this book. You know, there's, a, there's another pointer to the first day of the week. Uh, Christ appeared to his disciples on the first day. John 20, 19 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the, be- of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And we know that precisely eight days later, which would again be the first day of the week, Jesus came back and he said to Thomas, put your hand here and believe. And we could, we could read further, we're not going to, of the apostles beginning to meet on the first day of the week. We could read in the uh, um, anti-Nicene fathers of their descriptions of meeting for worship on the first day of the week. 
And so the point is that when we come to worship on the first day, we are in God's will. God has instituted the Sabbath, and God has called us into his presence. Now, the the third point is really just a, a conclusion from the first two. And what I want to try to do is, is bring home the beauty of the Sabbath uh, into our hearts and lives. You see, the Sabbath represents a unique release from slavery. And th- this is the reason why I read the fourth commandment from the book of Deuteronomy rather than from Exodus. In uh, the book of Deuteronomy, there's this little passage at the end, and it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Slaves belong to a human master. They obey a human master. But we belong to the Lord our God. Slaves are in bondage. Jesus sets the prisoner free. You see, it was a sign, the Sabbath was a sign that they belonged to God, that he was their God. Shabbat follows Kalah. A rest follows the perfect harmony wholeness. And in this sense, uh, you know, if, if we think about uh, our own lives, and I, I said this before, in bondage to sin, well, we serve a different master. We serve ourselves and our sinful desires. But Jesus sets the, the prisoner free. He sets us free from sin and death, and he sets us free to belong to him. The Sabbath is essential to our freedom in Christ. Now, some things that that we learn here, um, we of ourselves are not worthy. We cannot enter into Christ's rest on our own. It took the completed work of Christ. We must be born again. We must be recreated. We must be found in Christ. It tells us that Christ had to finish his work. It's not our work, it's his work. We are simply the beneficiaries. It tells us that no other works are required except those which Christ finished. Nothing can be added to Christ's work. His redemption is kalah, whole and complete. And because Christ's work is whole and complete, then he can call to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. It says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, 
nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so we ask, is the Sabbath a delight to you? Did you notice the promise in this passage? If you call the Sabbath a delight, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. And can there be anything more delightful than being brought out of the chaos and the trouble and sin and conflict in the world and brought into Christ's perfect wholeness of rest? All of this points to the Sabbath as a gift from God. Uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung said it this way, He says, I want Christians to know that going to church, hearing the word, reciting the creed, singing the hymns, partaking in the the sacraments, is not peripheral to the Christian life. It is our lifeblood. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You know, if you think back to the northern and and southern kingdoms, in, uh, in the northern kingdom, King Jeroboam, he, he didn't want his people going down to uh, the temple in uh, Jerusalem because that, that was in the southern kingdom. And so he forbid the people and he set up an idol worship uh, do a golden calf of all things. Now it's, it's interesting. What he did is he took away their weekly worship. And we know that every king in the northern kingdom was evil. We know that they steadily went from bad to worse until they were destroyed. At least in the southern kingdom, they had some good kings. And they were preserved. You know, I think this is a picture for us. To be cut off from worship on the Sabbath day. Even if it's we ourselves who do the cutting by perhaps negligence. To be away from worship can only lead into more and more sin and meaningless. Sabbath worship is our lifeblood. It is essential to a sustainable life on this earth. It is a gift of God. Now what I've, what I've tried to convey is that the Sabbath is a, is a celebration. That Shabbat Our rest follows Kalah. Our rest and our worship flows naturally from our love for Christ and the perfection, the wholeness, and the harmony of His completed work of redemption. And so we celebrate Christ on the first day of the week. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us the gift of the Sabbath, that you have given us a day that we don't need to fall into meaninglessness, that we can turn our hearts to you, that we can rejoice in all that you have done, for you are good and perfect in every way. And Lord, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would grant rejoicing, 
by the power of your Holy Spirit in you. And that you would give us faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.